0: So th- th- this passion about uh, seeing our church grow up and people moving from infant stage in the Lord and just getting started in the Lord, moving into what, what the Bible would say is maturing as sons and daughters of God, and then into the later stage where, uh, you know, the writer of Hebrews said, though you have 10,000 teachers, you don't have many fathers. And so a call in the body of Christ for maturity to come, that we would have true sp- spiritual elders and leaders in our own church, but also in this community, preparing for what I believe God God's going to do in these last days. Amen? So we've been talking about that and kind of using this passage here in 1 John 2 as, as the foundation. And he said, I'm writing to you little children, believers, dear ones, because your sins have been forgiven for his namesake. You've been pardoned and released from spiritual debt through his name because you've confessed his name, believing in him as Savior. So that's the starting place. We come to him as kids. And then uh, the writer John here, he jumps forward. He said, and I'm writing to you, fathers, those believers who are spiritually mature because you know him who has existed from the beginning. And last week, we, we unpacked this a little bit. We're going to pick it up again today. And I'm writing to you, young men, those believers who are growing in spiritual maturity because you've been, been victorious. Say vic- victorious. Come on, victorious. And you've overcome what? The evil one. And so he defines people that are growing up and maturing spiritually as those that are victorious. You're, you're experiencing victory in your life over stuff, and you've overcome the evil one. And then he kind of writes it again. He writes it this way. He uh, sorry, go back to this. He writes it again. I've written to you, children, those who are new believers, those spiritually immature, because you've come to know the Father. I've written to you fathers, or written to you fathers, because you know him who has existed from the beginning. And come on, read the yellow with me. And I've written to you, young men or young women, because you are strong and vigorous, and the word of God remains always in you, and you've been victorious over the evil one. Wow, I've written to you, young person, because you are strong and vigorous and the word of God remains in you and you've been victorious over the evil one. So last week, we talked a little about what that means and about keeping the word of God in us and keeping that stirred up. And I want to launch off that thought for this week. Again, where where does that vigorous faith come from? Where does that vigorous strength come from? And it really comes from prevailing prayer, This week I want to talk about overcoming through prevailing prayer. Because of the situation we're in and the condition of our country and really the need for fresh fire in people's lives and in our church, it comes through connecting with God. It comes through prayer. And so I put up there going from life support to moving mountains. All of us are on that journey from childhood through maturing faith to fathers and mothers in the faith, and some of that journey and some of that adventure and some of that learning process comes as we grow in the ability to connect with God and understand types of prayer and how to engage in that prayer is what makes the whole, so much difference, really all the difference in our lives. Can anybody say amen? So just, you know, this is a no-brainer, but I thought I'd put it up there as a reminder. Guess what? Jesus prayed. Jesus is the Son of God, part of the Trinity, and he prayed. And if he prayed, we have to pray. Amen? If Jesus had to pray, I have to pray. So who did he pray to? Well, Scripture talks that he, he, he prayed and he connected with his Father. He, he, he got alone to be nourished and to have fellowship and communion with his Father. I'm sure there's times Jesus prayed that the Holy Spirit would come on him showing things in a new dimension, just like we have to pray. I'm sure there's times Jesus prayed just to model it for his disciples, because his call was to make followers, to make disciples after him. So he got alone on a mountainside to pray, just to model to them what it means to pray and how to pray. He says there in Luke 5, 16, he often, say often, he withdrew to a lonely place and he prayed. He prayed. And then another place, a little farther, Luke's gospel. He records it again. He took Peter, James, and John and with him and went up on the mountain to pray. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. Luke 12. He, he, he went outside sometime, got away from the distractions just to connect again with his Father, be refreshed and renewed. If he's got to do it, we have to do it. Amen. And so then Luke's, Luke 11, right there, it says, when one day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, he had finished and one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So these guys that are hanging out with him or following him, they see the power in his life, they see the wisdom in his life and the strength in his life, and and to the point they didn't say, Jesus, do a miracle for me, or Jesus, provide something for me. No, they said, teach us how to pray, because in that power of praying, everything else is available. Everything else can be tapped into and received when you know how to pray like he prayed. Amen? So let's look at that a little bit farther. This is what... um, Martin Luther put up here, and I kind of threw in a quote by Martin Luther because, you know, October 31st is Halloween, and all over the news, it's talking about celebrating the Day of the Dead and, and ghosts and goblins and witches and whatever else there is, all the uh, vampires and all that. Well, you know what else October 31st is? 499 years ago is when Martin Luther took his 95 Theses for Reformation, and he nailed it to the church door, and it was the revolution that changed everything. That revolution, evangelical revolution, that great awakening is what changed the destiny of the church for you and me. One way, reason why we worship the way we do, have freedom in the word of God, can study it ourselves, understand justification by faith, by grace, is because of Martin Luther's revelation. So I thought, well, it's worth celebrating him this week as well. Amen? In human efforts, he says, we accomplish everything through prayer. What has been properly arranged, we keep in order. What has gone amiss, we improve or change. What cannot change and improve, we bear, overcoming all trouble and sustaining all by prayer. Against such forces, there is no help but prayer. So here's a guy that revolutionized the direction of the church and his foundation is prayer. The need for you and me to, to make it a priority To connect with God through prayer, the the things that we can enforce and declare and change through prayer should be a priority for the church, especially in the the culture and the climate we're in. Amen? So Jesus gives us some tips. How do we do it? So let's go to what the Lord said, and this is Matthew 6, if you want to open your Bibles there. There's other stuff around it, before and after it. I'm just going to spend some time on this passage, particularly to build this one thought. But he's telling these guys, when they're asking about prayer, he just prays the Lord's prayer, and, and he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward. Read verse 6 with me. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There, there, there's... An invitation in this. In the busyness of life and all the things that are happening, he said, hey, hey, just don't do your prayers like the hypocrites do. It's not about how many words or your flowery speech or your your divine, you know, uh, inspirational tone of voice. No, no, no. He said, it's a heart deal. It's a heart deal. And so when you pray, go into your Father in secret and, and the stuff that the Father does in secret in your heart, and if you allow him to do the stuff in your heart in, in secret, when you're behind the closed doors, when you're in communion with him, when nobody's watching, if you allow the Lord to do the heart work in you, the foundation of prayer, the, the heart work that happens when there's communion and exchange with him, if you allow him to do that there, man, when you come out, there's going to be open rewards around you. So it's got to start with communion between you and him. It's got to start with the the power of that secret place that Psalm 91, David wrote about. Dwelling in the secret place of the most high God. And I don't know about you, but life's pretty busy. I mean, most times my phone's my calendar, and every day there's kind of bouncing from this to this, and that phone call to make, and this thing to write, and this person to get back to, and this planning that we need to do. And so there's days, man, I can get things out of skew, but then there's other times my secret place is just driving to, along the highway, and there's times you start just praising and talking to God, and he fills you, and he gives you a higher thought, or, or there's something, just a strength that comes, or something that just sparks just fresh joy in my heart. That communion is so important for us, so important for everyone, amen? And, and he said here, he, he describes this because of this idea of having a strategy, He says there there needs to be a time and a place for prayer, a a, a sacred spot you set aside or a time or an intentionality that you bring to praying. So let's talk about this secret room, the secret place, where what we go in there for. And again, this is in context of people growing from infant hidden in Christ to starting to mature in Christ to become uh, seasoned moms and dads in the faith. Let's, let's talk about this secret room a little bit. So in, in this room, in this exchange, this secret place, there's, there's power to change me. And I think that's the starting place. When we're alone with the Lord, he starts with us. He's working on us. And then in prevailing prayer, in, in overcoming prayer, we get insight and authority in how to change circumstances for you, how to pray for one another. And then last but not least, we're going to spend a little time talking about power to change the world, influencing the world around us. So there's a few things to cover, big subjects in just a few minutes. Let's talk about power to change me first. I was spent some time this week with David Litke, and he's a, a marriage and family counselor, and he's coming to our church now, and we're working on messages for down the road. But I was talking to him about brokenness in people's lives and how we overcome. And he said the, the, you know, the monologue that goes on in many people's heads pretty negative. You've been seated with that, words that were spoken over you when you were younger, hurts that came through school and maybe even now. Uh, you see almost weekly on the internet kids that are being bullied to the point of suicidal actions. Well, these thoughts, this, that I'm the ugly sister or the horrible daughter or I'm not even second choice, I'm the leftover, I'm not the clever one or the skinny one, I'm the talentless one, I'm the why are you here one. A survey from 2012, National Health Institute said 21% of people surveyed on the spot interview, the interview they took right then, 21% of them say they were fighting feelings of sadness and hopelessness. Or they felt worthless. And so in this room this morning, if we have 100 people here right now, 120 people, one, maybe one-fifth of us might be fighting that overwhelming feel this morning, feeling this morning of just a, a hopelessness or a worthlessness. When you come away with the Lord in that room, when you come away and, and the first step in prayer is just to, to talk to him and commune with him, I believe there's an exchange that goes on. This picture was intriguing to me. I found it. This is Mel Gibson from The Passion of Christ sitting next to Jim Caviezel when he's fully dressed as Jesus after he's beaten. Now let me just ask you a question. If that was you sitting in a chair next to the Lord who just revealed himself as the one who sacrificed everything for you, if you could see the scars, if you could see the blood, after you get over the shock and awe, and being aghast at just the, the, the look of you know, his presence, what would the message be that you would receive from that? If he appeared to you in the secret place, what would you feel or sense from him if he, if he revealed that self stuff to you or himself in that condition to you? I think it's got a lot to do with what we're talking about today, the idea that you're loved. If you understood why he did it, the price he paid, he gave everything because he loves us. He paid the ultimate price. He shed his blood to make payment for that separation that keeps you and me from everything that God has for us and wants for us. Scripture says, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. In that exchange, when Jesus said, hey, before you start praying, come alone to the secret place because I want to talk to you there. Being renewed in the love of God is huge for any kind of effectiveness beyond. I, I was listening this, this week on a long drive. Uh, it was to Christian Radio, Family Life Radio, and they were interviewing some guys that are working with the unreached people groups, and particularly these guys were working with Muslim populations around the world. And they're reporting just there's multitudes, multitudes, perhaps in the thousands uh, of Muslims coming to Christ because of encounters they're having with Jesus. Now, there's been more Muslims that have come to Christ the last two decades than, than all the time since 1400. So all the evangelistic work after the cru- Crusades, there's more Muslims coming to Christ now than ever before in history. And one of the key things that are happening, they're having dreams and visions and the Lord's appearing to them in villages and different ways. And it's sparking them a hunger and a love, especially uh, in the culture they're around now where they're seeing the evil side, the terror side of Islamic faith. They're more open than ever before to come to Christ. And they told the story of this one, this one iman who started having dreams And he came to this guy who's talking on the radio, this guy's friend who's working over there, and he told him about a dream he'd been having about Jesus. And he said, I've been having this dream for 30 days now, every night. And he had all kinds of questions, and he said, this is the interesting thing for me, the commentator said, was this guy said he could hardly wait to go home at night to dream because in his dreams, Jesus tells him that he loves him. And he's never heard it from any other place. That in that secret place, when God begins to convince us that we're loved, that we're not the ugly sister, we're not the, the, the discarded son, but in that place, when God begins to exchange and show and reveal the, the cost of his love for us, and we get hold of that, and it sinks and it sticks, that we're loved by God, and because we're loved by God, he wants that message to go to other people and stick and live and change and revolutionize their life as well. Amen? Amen? The second thing I think would happen is that he would talk about being forgiven and cleansed. It says here, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So Jesus' invitation to start first in the secret place and to start first in communion with God is to come and get forgiven. Come and get cleansed. Another story that came from this radio broadcast had to do with the, the son of a Somali pirate. Now, these guys are the ones that have been on the news the last few years. They've been taking over ships and hijacking and capturing people. And and one of these Somali warlords had a son who started hearing about the gospel. I think it was through the internet. And this son eventually received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he was trying to hide it from his father. And his mother found out and and just warned him and said, if you don't leave, something's going to happen to you. And, And she helped make the arrangements the mother did for the son. When the father found out that the mother was involved, this is brutal, the, the, the father hired two thugs who stabbed the mother and videotaped it for the son. And the father sent the videotape of his mother being murdered and killed to the son, and the son carried that for a while, even as he served God in his way. But and I don't even know how long time went on, but it was reported that one day the son was in the marketplace, and he saw the two guys that were on the video that murdered his mother in the marketplace. And he engaged him. He called him over, told him who he was, said, I know what you did to my mother. And in that conversation, I don't know how it all unfolded, but by the end of the conversation, that young man, that young son told the two murderers that he forgave them in Jesus' name. And it blew them out of the water. They never heard anything like that in their extremist faith. They've never heard the idea of forgiveness. They never heard the idea of mercy. It's always been an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But in that exchange, they heard about forgiveness. And because of that forgiveness, those two guys gave their heart to Jesus and later on joined the son in his own ministry. Now, now let me challenge you with this. If our God could put that kind of a compassion in a man to forgive these two guys. How big is the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the cleansing of God available for you and me? If God can work that in a, in a simple, sinful man's life, how much bigger is his compassion towards us? How much bigger is his cleansing and forgiveness for you and me? that we shouldn't have to walk in the shame of yesterday. We shouldn't have to walk in the pain and the torment of things that have been spoken and said over us. We're new in Christ, amen? We're called to be victorious. Get past those things. Grow up in those things. And that comes from the exchange in the secret place. You can receive strength and strategy in that, that secret place. When you come to the Lord, he says he would pour out his spirit on us. Acts 1.8's the promise, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. Why does he draw us into the secret place? So he could put his power on us. So he could give us strategy, give us higher thoughts. I don't know about you, but if I stay stuck with my own thoughts, I'm always going to have the same results I've always had. I need higher thoughts from him. And this passage says in 1 Corinthians 2, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit, for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. And we have a secret weapon inside of us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit who searches the heart of God and reveals the secrets of God, the strategies of God, the wisdom of God, and then gives us the strength of God to walk it out. When I preach to myself this message, I think, dude, why don't you spend more time in that secret place? Why don't you spend more time being refreshed there and renewed there and being cleansed there and being empowered there before you step out in the world we're living in and try and navigate and negotiate all the stuff that faces us every day? Look, no one knows the thoughts, can know a person's thought except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thought except, except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. He draws us into the secret place. He draws us in that that room of waiting so there can an exchange can happen, so you can be filled, refreshed, nourished. The life of an overcomer, you need to spend time in that place to receive what he has for us. Amen? Let's talk about the power to change others, to change you, to change me, the power of prayer and families. The word intercession in the Old Testament came from this word pagah. And it meant it was an intersection between the powers of heaven and the needs of earth. So intercession really means when I go to God, I'm beseeching him and his power is here and my prayers are intersecting there and that connection releases things in the earth that changes stuff. This is Elizabeth Elliot. Her, her husband was killed by the Akka Indians as a martyr. She says this, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishments on earth. Amazing things happen. Say that with me. Amazing things happen and we're given the privilege of being the channels of the Holy Spirit's prayer. So the word says that the Holy Spirit, he prays through us. He, he births things. He, he's, there's a groaning that comes when we don't know how to pray, and we begin to pray, and that intersection between heaven and earth happens, and the resources we need, and the wisdom we need, and the strength we need comes from that secret place and that secret time of prayer, that private time of prayer, where God empowers us, anoints us, gives us vision, direction, heaven's help comes, and we're called to fulfill what he's speaking in our hearts to do. Amen? So I just put this down. How many believe prayer works? Yeah. Anybody yeah. believe it works? Why aren't we doing it more? Anyway, 82% of people they interviewed who pray say they most often pray for family members with 33 saying they, they pray for strangers. Why do you put this up there? Because I want you to know you're, you're, you've been probably prayed for a lot in your life. I think of my grandmother, my Roman Catholic grandmother, was in the rocking chair in our house. There's a couple times I'd busted through that door at midnight, two in the morning, a little buzzed from whatever was happening during that night, and I see my grandmother rocking in the corner in the shadows. I know sometimes she had her rosary beads or Catholic rosary beads in her hand praying for us. The power of people praying for you has made a huge difference that only heaven will tell the difference it's made. And the power of you and me praying for our loved ones, our lost ones, that power makes tremendous opportunity available, brings heaven's intersection down in their lives. It's important that we pray for them. Amen? About 87% of people who pray believe God answers their prayer from some of the time to most of the time. I put that up there. there, there there's people in our midst that we, we believe that our prayer is making a difference. We believe that God's changing lives because we're praying. And and because of that, he gives you assignments. He gives you targets. He'll highlight people in your heart that you carry in prayer, that, that, you know, till the will of God's done in their life, till they come back to him, till circumstances change. That's how the kingdom works. I just put this up here because it was a study, and I like sometimes that science confirms what we're doing. But it says, a group of physicians used the double-blind drug studies of the efficacy of Christian prayer on healing. Patients from the San Francisco General Medical Center were randomly divided into placebo and test groups. Patients in the test group were prayed for by Christians. The placebo group received no prayer. There was no statistical difference between the two groups when they started as prayer was initiated, but here's the results. Patients who were prayed for suffered less congestive heart failure, required less diuretic and antibiotic therapy, had fewer episodes of pneumonia, had fewer cardiac arrests, and were less frequently intubated and ventilated. Now, there's science just paying attention. There's difference when people pray. When you and me declare the promises of God, when we join forces together in a prayer of agreement and release that, circumstances can change in people's lives. And that's the life of an overcomer. That's the life of young ones. You are strong. The word of God abides in you. That that fervency in prayer makes a difference, and we're called to exercise it. Amen? In Luke 5, Jesus exhorted us kind of along the lines of what we sang about today. He exhorted us in our prevailing prayer not to give up. Tell your neighbor we can't give up. And he tells two stories back to back in Luke's gospel. Well, they're just a couple chapters apart that reinforce this. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, hey, don't trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give it to you. But I say to you, though he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend. (laughs) Jesus said this, read the yellow with me. Yet because of his persistence, he'll rise and give him as many as he needs. Jesus worked this story in, and I believe it was revealing how the kingdom of heaven works and how prayer can move things. He said, it's not convenient. The guy's coming and asking for a favor. It's not convenient now. It's not easy now, but because of the persistence of the praying person, there's going to be a release from God's storehouse to him. The spaga, the intersection will happen, and the the things will be released. And then he goes on, so I say, same conversation. So I say to you, read the yellow with me. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened." And then he gives just a kind of a humorous little thing here. If a son asks for bread from any among you, will you give him a stone? Or he asks for a fish, you're going to give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Here he said, God will respond with spiritual wisdom, spiritual insight. Another place, he said, how, many, how much more will your heavenly father in the other gospel, Matthew's gospel, give good things to those who ask him? The idea is in persistent prayer, asking prayer, seeking prayer, prayer that doesn't give up. God promised he would answer. He would pour out his spirit as an answer to us. He'd give us the things we need as an answer to us. Our job is to what? Ask and to seek and to knock and to stand. And God will deliver. Amen? Okay, then 18, we go down a few more chapters and I'm sure guys are still intrigued. The guys are following about prayer and how this whole thing's working. And he spoke a parable to them and he said, men always ought to pray and what? Not lose heart. The waiting. We sang about the waiting. In the waiting, there's always opportunity to give up. There's always opportunity to lose heart. We sang about it today that God is in the waiting. And here Jesus said that men always ought to pray and not give up or not lose heart. He said, There was a certain city, a judge, I'm sorry, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So God uses, two, or Jesus uses two stories within a few chapters to reinforce to his followers and disciples, there's something about persistence that's going to get its way. There's something about persistence that's going to win out. And then Jesus used the contrast. This is an unrighteous judge who really doesn't even have any compassion on the lowliest of all. Here's this widow. And Jesus uses to say, this story of an uncompassionate judge and this widow, even because of her perseverance and because she won't give up, something's gonna change and something's gonna happen. And then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Say speedily. He'll avenge them speedily. And then he throws this in. And nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? He contrasts that persistence and that crying out with people's heart of faith. It says, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to push until the answer comes. So I just, a little note, stay persistent in your prayers. The answer's on the way. Tell your neighbor the answer's on the way. Daniel prayed 21 days. In Daniel 10, it talks about Daniel praying, and for 21 days, Gabriel said, I heard the answer, or I heard the prayer when you made it, Daniel, 21 days ago, but there's spiritual resistance to my answer. And so sometimes it doesn't come right away, and we have to persevere. Now, when other people's wills are involved, that sometimes requires conviction and repentance on them. During that part of your waiting, work on you. The timing of their turning is not up to you. I know when my brother was out on the streets, not my brother Pat. Well, he had to share of that, but a little bit. My, my older brother, when he was on the streets 20 years there was times our family's praying, my mom was distraught, there's just things going on, he's in the hospital, then he's in jail, and, and, and it was just traumatic for years, and if I had my choice, that turning would have happened long, long, long time ago, but sometime it doesn't work the way we pray, yet we never gave up, and before he went to heaven, he was sober five years, and he was in our church with his hands up, before he went to heaven, we got to baptize him, and it's not always my timing, but God is faithful, Amen. So don't give up. Tell your neighbor we can't give up. Push until something happens. Push until the answer comes. Push until God makes it clear. But just don't give up in your praying. Amen? I know I got a few more things to cover. and we're... Here we go. Power to change me. Power to change you. But there's power in prayer to change the world around us. Scripture says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Read verse 12 with me. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand. So scripture makes it plain that there's times where we get alone with God and he works on us. Then the the privilege and the responsibility to pray for others. But even in a community, when we recognize that there's spiritual forces that have control of things. Scripture says in 1 John that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. So God can't be blamed for all the wickedness that's around us. It's people that have been corrupted. It's the working of powers and principalities behind the scenes sometimes, the being in corruption, why evil things happen to good people. There's a spirit realm we can't ignore, and many of us don't even acknowledge it in our Western intellectual culture. But scripture says we're wrestling not with just flesh and blood, but there's powers and principalities at work, amen? And so victorious people, overcomers, learn that, know that. And they know how to pray using the word of God and using the promises of God's word. And when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness against Satan and temptation, he used the word of God, the sword of the spirit. He said, it is written. It came out of his mouth to defeat and to push back the angels of darkness. Well, in James 4, he tells us how to do it. And this is the Message Bible. I like it. It says, it's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom. Cry out your eyes out. The fun and games are over, but get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get back up on your feet. And so he paints a picture of persistent prayer. He paints a picture of getting real with God and, and resisting the enemy by the words of your mouth, by the story of the Spirit, and saying yes in submission to God and just watch and see what's going to happen. So power to change the world. Billy Graham said this, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. And uh, and reading stats on prayer, th- this is the sad thing because we're in an election that's so divisive and we're in a, in a time in our history when politically we're we're so adverse to one another, but those that said they pray, only 12% said they pray regularly for their government officials. Only 12%. And so, Scripture commands us. It tells you and me that we're supposed to pray for kings and others in power, so we may live a quiet and peaceful lives as we worship and honor God. This kind of prayer is good, and it pleases God our Savior. He goes on to say, I want everyone everywhere to lift innocent hands towards heaven and pray without being angry or arguing with one another. There's a command that we have to pray. And in, in Tuesday, this election's going to be over, maybe. Depends on how things go. There's probably going to be suits and, and tension afterwards. And then you and me are going to accept the new president, the new, the new administration as it is. And you and me are called to love and we're called to pray and we're called to, to serve and to work because we're serving a different kingdom, Amen. And we're called to influence through our prayers.